Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Empire. Today we sit down with Harry and Steven, founders of Arbitrum. We are recording this at about 11 p.m. at night. Super long day for them. They just uh, announced their airdrop today. This episode, this is actually, there's going to be two Arbitrum episodes today. This episode is all about two things. One is Orbit um, and two is their airdrop that they announced. So really interesting episode. I think you guys will enjoy this. Stay tuned later today. We're going to drop another episode with Harry and Steven that we recorded a week or two ago, all about their thoughts on Arbitrum versus Optimism, uh, the ZK competitive landscape, MEV on Arbitrum. So that's a really interesting episode that we recorded before I even knew the airdrop was coming. So that'll drop later today. But this episode right now, I think you guys are going to enjoy it. It's all about the airdrop, um, all about the decision making behind kind of decentralizing Arbitrum and what that looks like, as well as Orbit. So yeah. Without further ado, let's jump into it. Harry and Steven, welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be here. Absolutely. Um, big day for you guys. Uh, you announced the airdrop, obviously. You also announced Orbit. So two huge announcements in one day. Uh, I just want to actually start with the why. And I remember, I think maybe a good place to start is like, I remember actually a couple of years ago, you guys being pretty aggressively like anti-token. Um, and that has obviously changed. So I just want to get your guys' view into like, why embark on this super tough journey of launching a token? Maybe, I don't know who to throw that to, but I'll like, I'll let one of you guys take this tough question. I think Stephen, you normally, uh, yeah, I, um, yeah, you definitely, uh, you're onto something there when there definitely was a time where, um, and actually I've seen, I saw people post like screen screenshots here from, I think an old. Uh, medium comment that Ed made and basically it was like from 2019 maybe early 2020 where someone asked is there or will there be a token and basically Ed answered truthfully which was our, our thought at the time that uh, there are no plans to have a token and I didn't think there would be one um, so definitely um, as a company and as individuals I think our thoughts have evolved on this and the thing I'll say is our, our opinions have always come from a place of technical uh, merit and, and uh, technical considerations first, right? When uh, the question was, does it make sense to have a token technically? Is there a technical reason to have, have a token in the, Ar in the Arbitrum uh, network? And I think that's where our, our thoughts evolved. That's, uh, you know, speaking for myself, I think speaking for Ed and Harry as well, that's where um, our, our thoughts have always been gone. So, so initially we said, hey, we, we thought, hey, Arbitrum doesn't need, doesn't need a token. That was probably our thought in 2018, 2019. But also our, our thoughts of what a layer two is and what a network what this network looks like and what a processes change as well. If you go back to the early earliest descriptions of Arbitrum, like we we thought about it basically as an app chain model where everyone has sort of launched their own chain and on their chain they have their own application and it was almost like a per application per um per you know one application per chain. And then like you know it makes sense to, that you know to not have a, a, a token necessarily because. It's sort of you know each one is very contained and and you, you don't need that but like in, in the model where there are these big public chains and the question is who controls the who controls these chains uh the case for a token the case for decentralization becomes much more much clearer it's either you don't want centralized control but there's common ownership so the, the case for a token becomes much much clearer so i think um it really was uh over time as we understood how people are going to use this technology that um the idea started simmering in our head of maybe a token does make sense. And I think over time that uh, really uh, coalesced in our minds, but it was never, uh, it was always a technical consideration from, from the beginning. Is it, so is it fair to say 
decentralized, just further decentralization of the chain of the ecosystem? Is that the kind of core decision? That would have been the concise way to say what I just rambled through. Let me ask the much more important question. How much sleep are you guys running on these days? <laughs> um, not so much. I'm looking forward to uh, to the uh, to the weekend. <laughs> I had a lovely sleep between 3.45 a.m. and 5.45 a.m. last night. Nice. I wonder. Nice. <laughs> Stephen, are you over or under that? <laughs> uh, under that right now. <laughs> That's what I, I, yeah, I had to imagine. Okay, so... The, the I guess I really is really... No, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the why here makes sense. Um, why why now? Totally okay, go ahead, Harry. The why a little bit, just like the other kind of, and just to put a concrete point on it, like I think kind of uh, the the linchpin of all of it is upgradability. The linchpin of all of it is basically like you know, well, okay, we have the system. Either it freezes forever, or there's some way to change it. If it freezes forever, it won't be the best tech forever. Um, I think like we for a long time believed that like no roll up tech around today is going to look particularly good in five or ten years. Like all of all all these projects are going to keep innovating, keep growing. Um, and like the flexibility for like projects to sort of improve and adopt new technology is, is critical. Uh, but simultaneously sort of having it be centralized is just like not feasible. Um, like kind of having it be sort of, if you want to be able to change, you need to choose who can do that changing. And, and fundamentally at a system of kind of the kind of insane scale that Arbitrum is running at, like it, it has to be widely controlled it can't be sort of tightly held and and kind of come through on on the promises of what it should be and by yeah. the way when oh. it comes to upgradability it's not just you know i think i agree with harry that you want uh for, from a feature set perspective you want the ability to upgrade a, a chain and indeed arbitrum upgraded to our the arbitrum one network upgraded to the arbitrum nitro stack earlier this year and that was you know in a world where that that capability didn't exist and it was sort of stuck in time um, I think it would be very, very different. And um, I, I think that the chain would have a lot more difficult, a lot more difficulty succeeding long term. But also, even if you disagree with that, like, no, it's okay. We don't need uh, any new features on this chain. Just from a security perspective, let's say there's a vulnerability discovered in the code um, and the chain, if it doesn't have an upgrade ability, won't even be able to, to fix that vulnerability. So fundamentally, it's like uh, to upgrade the chain to new features and also to protect it in case of any bugs discovered in, in the code of uh, the code of the chain is think it's very important to have um, the ability to upgrade. But as Harry said, you have this cache 22. Okay, so we, we want someone to be able to upgrade this, but we don't want there to be a centralized party. And the way out of that is to say, okay, so if the community, literally the DAO, it's everyone that has the ability to upgrade it. So you sort of have both the upgrade ability, but also not uh, that don't have that in the hands of any centralized or single entity or individual. Hmm. Okay, so the why makes sense here. Why why now? Um, <laughs> basically, if you if you look at the history of of the of the chain since launch and the upgrades that have been made, it kind of makes sense. You know, the 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 goal is getting rid of points of centralization and getting rid of um, um, single points of failure or single points of control that rely on one entity or one individual. And there are a few points, uh, you know, if you look at the system, there are in the abstract, there are a few important parts to decentralize. One is it's important to have fraud proofs on the chain. These are the sort of proofs that connect the, the, the glue, the, the chain to Ethereum, right? That actually give it a security of Ethereum. It's critical to have those fraud proofs um, live in the system because 
if there are no proofs, um, the chain can't operate by itself. It requires centralized intervention. You know, it doesn't rely on the security of Ethereum. But that's step one. So Arbitrum, we've been fortunate. Arbitrum has been fortunate since day one of his test that launched. Always have fraud proofs. You also need to have the uh, bandwidth to actually meet the demand on the chain. Um, I think two nights ago, um, there was a sustained period of time where there were 40 TPS on, on Arbitrum. Um, there was some sort of uh, um, unusual behavior going on to, to get it to get it that high. But the idea being, uh, the Nitro software has the capability of handling both the traffic today as well as um, significant traffic um, over time, as well, and, and also reduce the cost. So Nitro was an important upgrade that was necessary for the for the long term health of the chain. And then, um, so the question is, so okay, so we have then the 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 next thing that that uh, we announced was that there were about a dozen. Uh, 10 to 12 institutional validators, including big names like uh, Unifor, Ten of Coinbase, Consensus, Google Cloud, um, the Ethereum Foundation, were actually participating in the uh, decentralization uh, and the validation of Arbitrum One. That's another point of of uh, centralization that we, that that, uh, that Arbitrum had gotten past. Right? Fraud proofs are nice, but the second part is who's running these fraud proofs. And so in, in November, just a few months ago, it was announced that now. Uh, but many independent in, uh, organizations are now have the capability, have been whitelisted to run these fraud proofs. So naturally, if you look and say, okay, so so what's after after we have the Nitro upgrade and fraud proofs run now not by one or two uh, nodes, but by uh, a dozen or so independent nodes. Now, what's next? What's the biggest point of centralization? It's clear the biggest point of centralization is the ownership is the ownership of the chain is uh, the ability to upgrade the chain, and that's what today's launch solves. It takes the base. You know, there is a progressive process where a lot of these different points of centralization have gone away over time and some remain it's a continue it's a continuing process the biggest one left was clearly the centralized control over the chain ownership and uh with the launch of today's token that has been given over to the DAO so um hmm. that centralized uh chain ownership of arbitrary one arbitrary nova no longer exists and we're significantly further on the path to, de to decentralization I have a kind of like complimentary I guess uh point here or point here which is basically that I think I'm really, really, really happy that we didn't do something like this a year and a half, two years ago. That like fundamentally, it, it, it's interesting the degree to which kind of decentralization is great from a sort of security perspective and, and from kind of an inclusiveness perspective. But in terms of kind of efficiency, it's, you know, not the best. I mean, I think this is, you know, where we, we, where we look at, you know, where you look at like Ethereum itself and it both simultaneously takes a long time to get there and a lot of coordination, but the result is amazing. And that's the sort of thing that you kind of have to do when you are established, when you actually sort of have a, a sort of polished product and are, and are just sort of improving on it and iterating it, as opposed to sort of in that like early flexible sort of young startup um, that is kind of, you know, moving fast and, and sort of developing in a kind of much more controlled way where there's kind of an enormous benefit to sort of having centralization from the level of being able to kind of develop faster. And so like having something that sort of, I think that like, to me, one, one thing I, one thing I looked at a lot is the, the kind of rate of upgrades to the system that we've been deploying has massively slowed down since Nitro. Um, hmm. and, and kind of the longer it gets, the less often we've upgraded, which is really to me kind of symbolic of the fact that it just doesn't need as many rapid changes anymore which is kind of the right time to move over to a more deliberate process hmm. which is the goal of a protocol that's great um 
How did you guys decide, uh, you, you guys should uh, fact check these numbers here, but the numbers I'm looking at are uh, the treasury got 43%, the team got 27%, investors got 18% and users got 12%. Um, how did you guys decide on the on the allocation? So I think principle number one for us was that it should be majority owned uh, by the community. Um, and that's, um, you know, the rough breakdown um, is like uh, 55 point something, almost 56% to the community and 44% to, to, to insiders um, when you look at the, at, the, at the larger chart. So that was uh, probably the most important um, aspects of that for us, just the, the overall community dominance of this. And again, it, as you pointed out, so there's, there's the let, there's the user, um, airdrop, there's the DAO airdrop. So those together are like what's been given to the community immediately. And that those together are 12.75%. But then there's that DAO treasury part, which is also belongs to the community, but, um, it's controlled by the community and in, in the, in the, you know, in the, in the, and will, uh, uh, have opportunities to be, to be, uh, distributed by the community and by the DAO. Um, in the in the long term, so that's um, you know the most um, uh, important uh, one to us. And then um, when it comes to the airdrop, right, there are some freedoms. So there, there's there's sort of three different criteria when it comes to the airdrop that are like I don't know. Which we feel like we just we should define another trial dilemma here. Um, <laughs> the idea being are three things you could do, right? You can give away too many tokens, right? You can you can you can you can you have freedom over the size of the airdrop. You have uh, freedom over so how many users of Arbitrum, did anyone who ever used Arbitrum get airdrop eligibility or is it more selective than that? And then you have freedom over and how much, how many tokens does each person who's eligible for the airdrop get? And you sort of, you know, these things are in tension with one, with one another, right? If you, you sort of, if you want to, if your goal is to preserve, not, not to give the entirety of the user um, of the community allocation out on day one, then you're limited and you can't make the airdrop too large. And then you have to say, okay, so do you want to give everyone and give everyone very very little, or do you want to sort of select on a more power set of users or users that are more committed and give them a little bit more? And then, you know, users who use Arbitrum once or twice or have some civil, beha civil behaviors, uh, they'll get eliminated. And that's basically um, it's part of the set, set, of, set of, of constraints uh, when, when doing that. So uh, we worked very closely um, at Off-Chain Labs with the Arbitrum Foundation and with Nansen uh, on this over the course of many, many months. Uh, analyzing the data and working working on this, and really try to optimize for um, giving a reasonable, uh, a reasonably large amount of, of the of the tokens to the community for preserving some. So twelve point seven five. That would sound like the, you know that felt in the, in the right ballpark. It's a lot of the tokens going out of the door on day one, but there's still a significant treasury remaining. And also trying to focus on giving finding the real users of Arbitrum and eliminating the symbols and the airdrop farmers and giving them uh, more representation. And just trying to flat give everyone as Dutch Arbitrum. Because the thing about Arbitrum is, you know, the airdrop happened, there's a lot of users, right? There are millions of active addresses. It's it's uh, you know, the chain has already have ha already has significant traction. And that's um that's great, but also when it's defining when, when designing an airdrop, it's it's it makes it a little bit tricky because again, you really want to focus on that set of users. You don't want to just give everyone uh, you know, some dust. You want to basically focus on that set of users. And I think, you know, we um uh, together with Nansen and the Arbitral Foundation, I think we did find um, a, a good a good uh, medium there. But that's basically that you know there's no exact science, but those are sort of the factors of, of, of that went into um, determining the size of of the airdrop. Yeah. Do you have any projections on like I guess short, obviously medium to long term usage of Arbitrum? I'm, you, both of your vision is that it skyrockets. Do you have any sense of like short term usage of Arbitrum? Because obviously 
there's a lot of use. Ar Arbitrum is ripping in tr terms of like on-chain usage recently, but obviously some people are just trying to farm for the for the airdrop. Uh, do you have any sense of like short-term uh, usage, what that could look like? So, you know, it's hard to know exactly, to be to be honest. Um, one thing we can confirm is, so the airdrop and eligibility were announced earlier today and Arbitrum's traffic did not, you know, go down. Uh, there's still a lot of real, real unsustained use. Yeah. And, and one thing, one thing which is important to notice is the traffic is is elevated on many metrics, right? There's Arbitrum is now. Um, I think last time we recorded, I said it was number two, but now it's sustained number. And, and then we looked, it was number three that day, but now it's sustained number two index volume right behind Ethereum. Um, you know, it's 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 uh, the number one uh, TVL uh, layer two. Um, you know, it's 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 it, it has the most ETH in Arbitrum than any other uh, than all the other scaling solutions combined. Uh, many metrics are up simultaneously, which is indicative of real and actual use. And you know, people are building protocols in Arbitrum that have product product market fit, and people um, want to use. So um, I don't think we'll see uh, a decrease in traffic. I think we'll see an increase in traffic because uh, I think a lot of that is is real and and and, and legitimate traffic. Although we don't have um, other than like you know generic growth projections, we don't have any anything specific that will tell us you know in the short to medium term like what. Uh, you know, what a uh, factory increase we expected the traffic. Um, but, yeah. you know, we, we did have a few weeks ago for the first time, Arbitrum process more transactions than Ethereum uh, in a single day. And I expect that over the course of the next weeks and months to become the norm. To the, to the degree that there like is artificial usage, which like, you know, the, I'm sure there's been some amount. And I, I mean, I, we know from the civil elimination work that was done for the airdrop, certainly that there was, you know, you know, a good chunk that was detected. Like I, uh, I personally would be really excited about like that dropping off because I think fundamentally like one of the things that that like Arbitrum I think has been pretty successful at is like finding real product market fit which is incredibly hard to do when you can't tell what usage is organic and what isn't and like given that like the goal is to grow the pie the goal the goal is to like onboard more users more developers trying to understand like what people actually want as opposed to kind of what they're doing because they have sort of some sort of mm. side mode is just so important and valuable. I hadn't thought about it like that. Yeah, I guess if people were listening to Blockworks podcasts and like opening Blockworks's newsletter simply because they were trying to get a reward from it, it'd be really, uh, from a product perspective, it would make it very tough to actually tell like, well, are we putting out good content? Do people actually like this show or are they just interesting? I hadn't thought about it from that lens. Yeah. Um, why did you guys decide to make the ARB token only used for protocol governance instead of uh, uh, being used to pay for fees as well? Like, what was the thought process there? So, an arbitrary rollup, there's a very good technical reason why um, ETH is the natural fee token for, for Arbitrum. And, and the reason is, is simple. Um, the majority of the cost of an arbitrary transaction is actually to post the, the ETH on Ethereum. What I mean is, if your arbitrum one transaction costs you five cents, you roughly three of three cents are actually just being paid to Ethereum to store your to store your data. I remember roll up uh, in the roll up uh, mode, we, um, arbitrum puts all of the data on Ethereum, and that's a you know linear per transaction cost and not something that uh, you know goes away. Uh, it might go down over time with innovations like EIP forty four four, but there will always be a linear cost. Um, and what that means is, you know, if you think about it. You can charge you can charge fees or whatever token you want, but fundamentally, you're taking money in one currency, but your costs are, are denominated in ETH. 
And so ETH is, is the obvious currency, is the logical currency. And if you took funds in another currency, you'd have to do an immediate conversion to ETH or you'd hold the risk of that, of that conversion. So um, considering that, that the currency of layer one is ETH and Arbitrum pays uh, Ethereum for its security, it's very natural. Um, and this is just from a technical perspective. And the second one is, you know, in, in, the, in the constitution, we also have, um, our, you know, the, the, the constitution lists uh, several values of, of Arbitrum and its ecosystem. And one of them is Ethereum alignment. I think from an ecosystem alignment perspective, um, it makes a lot of sense to use ETH. Now, the goal here is to scan a solution that's, um, that makes it easier and, and simpler for, for users to, uh, for users and for, uh, developers to use. And, um, it's clear that kind of, again, considering that you, users are bridging from ETH and users have ETH, you know, just by nature of Arbitrum being on top of ETH, the, the, the least fr friction thing, um, that, that one can do is to have our ETH be the, the, the fee token and Arbitrum. So again, we're always about tech and, and what is the, you know, what is best technically first. And it's clear to us, uh, that from both a technical perspective and from an ecosystem alignment perspective, ETH is the right, uh, call. So adding something artificial, like saying, oh, yeah. our, let's add the Arbitrum token because artificially that'd be good. Like that's not something which, you know, we consider, we, we just say technically ETH is the best community value wise eth is the best so eth is eth, eth is eth is uh you know that's enough to sway us that we believe that it should, that it should be, that the token should it should remain uh the fee token should remain eth on arbitrum one and arbitrum nova harry anything else out there or not no no sorry yeah okay. uh i think steven summed it up pretty well nice uh guys it's it i mean it's super clear you guys uh Super clear. You've been very uh, just just really thoughtful with how you've done all of this, from spending time with Nansen for months on on identifying different uh, wallets that are like actually participating. Just the whole way that you've gone about it. What were the toughest decisions that you guys had to make? Like, what were the things where it's 10 p.m. You're at the office, you're whiteboarding, and you're just like you're just disagreeing, and you got to sleep on the decisions, and you can't come to agreement. What 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 were some of those? It's a good question. You're, you're both laughing and smiling, so I know that there are some. So you, you gotta <laughs> all of your. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know the, the, the truth is, um, one of them, and I don't think it was a point of disagreement. But as you said, we worked together with the Arbitrary Foundation now with Nansen for many, many months on these criteria, and our goal was to create a set of fair criteria, uh, set of open and transparent criteria as well, right? So users can go ahead and, and verify them and, and, we, and all the data is their users can say, okay, these are the points that I deserve. I can go and check that myself. This is correct. This is fair. Um, you know, we spent, you know, we, we had, we put in tireless efforts to, to, uh, to really optimize for that. But the truth is you never really know until, until, until you, until you do it, how, you know, how people will be receptive to it and whether or not people will appreciate the work you, you've done, people will read your criteria. So, um, definitely, you know, um, that, those were scary, uh, decisions, uh, to be involved with. And, you know, it wasn't, you know, obviously the Arbitral Foundation was the ultimate one to make, to make those decisions. Um, but you know, those were, um, it, there are no, it's not, you know, it's, it's somewhere in between an art and a science. There's no exact answer to this, and you sort of uh, put in the best efforts, and that's what that's what we did. We, we all did together, and um, but it was uh, definitely, um, you know, a scary process, and we were just hoping that the community would appreciate it. And, and you know, to be very honest, it wasn't like we were sure that okay, this is perfect, everyone's gonna love it. We're like, we've done our best here. 
sometimes, I mean, sometimes that's all you can do, right? People forget that at the end of the day, these, you know, they're just people build, building startups and technology here. So you just try to put your best foot forward. Absolutely. And yes, I think people assume that there is a scientific answer, but, um, <laughs> I don't think that anyone's cracked it. And, and, um, you know, one thing is, as you know, uh, we were on, uh, um, it becomes harder over time, right? As everyone, as the more airdrops come, and the more of these Sybil um, farmers or, or the airdrop farmers or Sybils, they they adapt. Yeah, it becomes more and more and more difficult over time to identify the behavior, uh, to separate that from real users. And you don't want to go too much in doing this because then you end up just uh, catching some real users together with the uh, you know with, with them. So it's it's a very very tricky problem. And um, unfortunately, yeah, there's no. Uh, always correct answer and there's a there's a best effort uh job there i i think the uh, the other sort of big element i think i get like i think i call out is basically just like the core the core kind of like getting over the concept of sort of like handing off sort of control of this thing to to the arbitrum foundation which like steven and i are are very much not a part of um and, and just kind of i think coming to terms with like what it really takes to kind of make a system really decentralized and independent this was a really you know significant mental hurdle to get through yeah that's a good point i, I mean i can imagine that i i was talking to harry before you jumped on steven and i was i, I just it, i think it'd be really tough like you know mike mike and i have been running blockworks for five years and i think uh you know we're still pretty there are decisions that we don't make anymore but that's by choice, I'd say it's because we've right. removed ourselves from decision making. It's not like there's decisions that like we're actively not supposed to be involved in those because those are the foundation. And like, I'm not push those. Um, I'm I, like, how do you think about that? Almost from like a, I don't know, like psychological, interesting like barrier and hurdle to get over. I feel like. Yeah, it's a very strange, strange feeling to you know have a lot of control over the ecosystem and literally give it up, even in the Security Council. I'm not yeah. a member of the Security Council. Wait, so you have Harry a foundation, is. and then the foundation has created the Security Council? Exactly. The foundation, the Security Council is part of the foundation. Um, but the company, you know, it's a, it's a 9 out of 12 signature to do anything fast on the Security Council. The company uh, doesn't not only doesn't have the ability to unilaterally push something through, off-chain labs doesn't even have the ability to veto something. Off-chain labs has three seats there, so if everyone else disagrees with off-chain labs, they can't even, doesn't even have a veto. So off-chain labs really doesn't have um, any uh, significant power at all over the direction here, and it's a it's a, it's a big departure, um, of course, and um, it's it's definitely you know so 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 you know I was uh, I've been doing a few of these press interviews, so someone asked me yesterday like you know why would you do that like and 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 the answer is simple like you know you, one can argue we can argue today or tomorrow the benefits are centralized systems and the benefits are decentralized systems, and I'm one by the way who thinks there are benefits to both. You know, central. Not one is better. There, different ones are better for different for different opportunities. Centralized systems have their places. Right? Web two and Web three aren't in competition. They complement each other. Sometimes for some problems, Web two are better. For some Web three are better. For some a combination of the two are better. At least, at least that's my vision. The thing that I think we can't do is to have a cent have a centralized product, but call it a decentralized product. So in our mind, the only way to decentralize is actually to decentralize. And giving up control and, and actually decentralizing—that—that—that's that, it. You can't ha you can't decentralize, but also keep keep that control. And for us, um, you know, it's ironic. We're 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 excited. We're celebrating today. We're celebrating the the lack of power and giving up of that power because 
it's not about us. It's about the ecosystem and empowering the DAO and empowering the community. And you know that's a very exciting moment, even if it means that uh, we no longer are in control of the chain. Um, the DAO is in control of the chain, and that's the correct and the next exciting development for the community. And you know we are very excited to see um, this thing that we initially created uh, really um, fly by itself and go beyond uh, our control. Yeah. Um... I'm guessing you're not, well, I don't know how much you can comment on this, but one thing I just have to ask on, ask Thread is, uh, uh, I don't even know the right way to ask it, but like, okay, so I'm looking at optimism on our price, on our price chart right now. And, uh, well, low, talk about low flow. Uh, okay. So you have 800 million market cap and 11 billion FTV. What do you think, uh, arbitrage? I guess, uh, how, how much do you know about the numbers for like when Arbitrum launches and like, what are the, uh, what do you think this does like comparably in the markets? So we don't know, or even like really consider, uh, you know, what the price will be. That's, that's not something we have any information on or really went into any of the, of our considerations. But one thing we do know and can say is, um, in terms of, I think the, the ratio you said it was like, uh, 800 to 11, um, we are as part of the, the airdrop on day day one uh we will we will you know uh the arbitrary foundation will be giving out 12.75 percent of the token of the token supply which is i think significantly more than um you know they gave in their airdrop so that you know the percentage of the uh the float and the you know, the, the token available on day one will be significantly higher by the way investor and team tokens um i imagine in their case as well in our case have a four-year lock with a one-year cliff so they uh, gradually start unlocking after one year, over four years, but you know, there'll be absolutely no, none of that liquidity for the first year. Um, and you know, that, that, uh, um, so really, but, but we'll, we'll go on. Yeah. One important thing is I, I think the, the size of the airdrop is, is sounds like, uh, larger than what, than what they have, uh, put out. Yeah. How, how does, uh, so like when you, when you IPO, when a company IPOs, the banker set a price, right. And they want to kind of like talk to a bunch of institutions and like, find the supply and find the demand, like set the supply based on the demand and kind of find this price that's like, gets the company a lot of money, but is also gonna like rip on on day one. How, do, what are the mechanics when you launch a token? How, like, what is the first price? This might be a really dumb question, but. So the, the probably the answer is it depends on the team and, and that you know, how they engage or what they engage. We have no idea. We didn't engage with anyone around the price. We didn't actually even engage with any layer, with any, uh, uh, centralized exchanges on listing uh, the token either. Uh, this wasn't what we're optimizing for. We're, we're watching the token because we believe in the technical uh, merits of the gov of governance. Um, and so I, I can't speak for other teams, but they do. I, I, but I can confirm in our case, um, you know, literally n n have never uh, had, a, had a conversation or been in a conversation of what the price will, would be. And um, I will be, uh, you know, uh, sitting watching just like everyone else. Um, and seeing you know uh you know what happens on thursday when the token uh goes live but that's never been our focus there, there's i don't know if you guys saw the coinbase documentary that uh coinbase dropped like two or three months ago um they hired a filmmaker and they dropped yes. it on amazon <laughs> right so it's actually it's actually i mean it's a little bit of pr obviously but uh it's a fun little look and you know inside their ipo and stuff and like the story of brian Armstrong. is basically the story of brian armstrong but oh, well, i thought you meant the nft videos for a second sorry <laughs> oh no 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 i don't think i've seen that uh, so, so the question this is documentary about steven what are you saying <laughs> <laughs> about steven oh. <laughs> 
I'm good. No, it's not up to Stephen Harry. It's up to the foundation. <laughs> uh, but there's a fun vid- uh, video of Brian just like on the day of their IPO, like sitting behind the computer, just like all the rest of us, just being like, all right, there goes the price out of my hands now. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, we right, engaged. <laughs> I want to I wanna actually move a little bit away from token airdrop stuff because obviously that's exciting, but I would... Uh, a part of me feels like the other news of the day is like just as exciting, but really got swept under the rug, which is you guys just launched Orbit. Um, so my understanding is like, this is you guys getting into the L3 space and like, this is this permissionless L3 solution for developers to build on top of the Arbitrum L- L2. Super exciting. Um, have, have a bunch of questions here, but maybe Harry, can I pick on you just to give a, a, a succinct overview of it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, so the, the really kind of, the really big change with with it's it's interesting kind of most of the things we we announce and we do are are oftentimes kind of technical changes. Um, where, whereas Orbit like fundamentally comes in the form of of a licensing change um, at its at its core, which is that before now, um, off chain labs had just had Arbitrum Nitro code licensed under the BSL. Um, two big changes happen today. Um, one being the DAO gaining the ability to vote to allow other chains to launch using Arbitrum technology as to L2s on top of Ethereum. Um, the other is Orbit, which you mentioned, which is that the license now just allows anybody to launch an to use Arbitrum code to launch an L3 on top of an L2 Arbitrum chain. So that means. Today, that means on top of Arbitrum 1, on top of Arbitrum Nova, um, as the DAO spins up and, and potentially votes to allow for, for kind of other Arbitrum layer 2 chains to be created, uh, that might mean on top of those. And, and so that it, it's really it's really the start of something. Um, and, and it's really, I, I'd say in, in some ways, like I think there's a fair amount of additional technical work to be done to actually figure out even what the like optimal l3 structure of the code is um it works today but it's certainly not at a place where i would say it's like completely polished but but what's cool and what's really powerful to me and really you know appeals to me personally is you can do whatever you want with it um there is this massive growing ecosystem of companies that are kind of building and involved in this space of of kind of roll-up chains and layer three chains and kind of are, are building on tech and expanding it and changing it and innovating. Um, and, and sort of with this change, that is kind of fully embraced by the Arbitrum ecosystem. Um, but in a way that basically will essentially drive value into the core chain by coming as building as layer threes on top of Arbitrum one, as opposed to building on kind of completely unrelated layer twos where they could instead be kind of competitive. Hmm. It's really so. It's really a framework for creating L threes that's settled to these Arbitrum based rollups. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and it's just okay. it's fundamentally. I think there's a lot of kind of development and tooling that we will do over the course of the coming months to sort of make launching L threes easier. I think that's an area that kind of like, um, uh, you know, around around off chain labs, we're really excited about. Um, and I know we're going to be interested in kind of expanding out and making it sort of more accessible and easier to do. Um, yeah. But like for now, it's kind of this sort of raw Cambrian explosion where even if it's not polished and ready to go to kind of launch your own L3 tomorrow from a sort of like figuring out all the tech and infrastructure and all the complexities around it perspective, uh, I fully expect to see hackathon projects 
springing up left and right that are building on this tech stack deploying L3s because it's going to yeah. be fun. <laughs> who, who, who are good candidates right now to go build an L3? So there are different profiles. You know, we, over the course of the med- past many months, we have the opportunity to speak with different projects. And I would say there are three different profiles of projects that want, want to build an on L3. One is a highly successful project. So one example of one that like, you know, it, pub, there was a lot of public discussion around. So where there were, you know, Yuga Labs did the other side launch and, you know, Ethereum congested and people were paying thousands of dollars for these. And there were a lot of uh, people publicly saying back then, and the conversation has continued a lot, in, you know, since then in, in the public forum as well, which is like, hey, you should have your own uh, L3. But again, the idea is, is a lot of these are projects that want to remain on Ethereum, want the security of Ethereum, want the community of Ethereum. They want a priority laid on Ethereum. So this is one project. They're just successful projects um, that need their own capacity and want to have more control over their capacity and not be in the shared capacity network where they're on the public network. Because the nice thing about L3s are, if you build an L, use the arbitrary code base to build an L3 on top of the R1, one of the arbitrary layer twos, that L3 has the same capacity as the layer two itself, right? So it's really like you're creating um, more capacity, right? Mm-hmm. So you can have two or three or five L3s sitting on the layer two, and each of them have their own uh, same you know capacity, um, which is uh, you know really really compelling, uh, really compelling reason to to get that priority lane. So that's one profile a project that has success. The second profile, and this is something we see a lot interestingly, it's a project that a lot of projects don't have that success today, but they have a vision uh, for that success. So they you know they'll say, okay, we're going to launch on the Arbitrum One public network, but is there a path for us that if we get you know runaway success? Uh, is there a path for us to launch our own layer three? And that gives a lot of people at ease. So they're like, I'm not going to build a layer three today, but I like the, f- the fact that I know that should we become ultra successful and have really high capacity, the code is available, the license is there, but we can migrate to a layer three should it become available. Uh, it's sort of like a fraud proof to go weird analogy. It's not something you intend to use right now, but it's good that it's there and it allows you to build it in comfort because you know that mechanism is there should you ever have to uh, go ahead yeah. and build the layer three that's there. And the third one, I think, um, from from speaking with different uh, uh, protocols, are chains that really want to enshrine their brand or their token in in inside the chain itself. So, for example, and we spoke a lot about our values for our public chains being ETH is the fee token, but other protocols may may have a different uh, a different opinion there and say, hey, uh, there, you know, we're some DeFi protocol with a token, and we want to run a chain in which the fee token is that token, right? That is definitely something which we've seen uh, over time, or they want to run a chain in which um, maybe their contracts are somehow enshrined and others can't launch contracts. So they have some uh, chain that's, that's basically application specific and focused on, on their protocol. So again, an, an ecosystem which is um, connected either by the token or by the contracts to the, to their protocol. This is uh, Another, another, um, another, another sort of uh, type of chain that we've seen. But one important thing is one important thing to say is definitely not for everyone. Some of the benefits I think people uh, underrate of the public chains is, is public infrastructure. They Etherscan or Alchemy and Fira, Chainlink, uh, you name it. All this public infrastructure exists on Arbitrum One, and it should be frank, it, it it takes some time and some effort to to, to get it there. Uh, it's not like a given that that and you know these infrastructure providers aren't going to support hundreds of new chains. Right. They might support that one or two or three really successful one, but they're not going to support those. So I think um, developers need to think critically about, hey, do we have a reliance on this public infrastructure? Will we be able to get this public infrastructure on our own chain? Um, does that require a certain level of success? And also, which other applications do I want to be on chain with? Like there are definitely, you know, we, we come across projects all the time and say, 
I want to be in the same chain as Uniswap. I want it to happen to Uniswap liquidity. Um, and that's another uh, you know thing which projects have to consider. Uh, can I live in an island? Because uh, even as uh, you know, in, in the layer three world, there are things that you can do to sort of make the communication between different layer threes better than just two separate blockchains. But there's still going to be some tension. It's not the same as being in actually the same environment, the same blockchain. So I don't think there is a silver bullet here. It really depends on the use case, uh, whether you know it makes sense for a project or developers. But those are some of the profiles of projects that want to build layer threes that we've spoken to over uh, the past many months. What's the ETA? So. Uh, when DYDX moved over from announced that it was leaving uh, Star Starkware, I think it was, uh, and going over to Cosmos to build their own app chain, that was a big moment for like the app chain thesis and Cosmos. When do you think that there will be a DYDX-like moment for Arbitrum L3? So we know of, um, you know, just by nature of uh, conversations we've had, um, people come to us and say, Hey, can we build layer threes? And our answer uh, has been, um, there will be a path to do that. And now that path is clear. Uh, we know that there is a uh, significant interest. Um, the nice thing is also, we don't know, you know, uh, there's probably a lot of interest that we don't know about, right? And that's the nice thing about permissionlessness. People will go ahead and build with this technology and do things that we don't know about. We don't, we, we can't guess, and it just enables that innovation. Um, but, but even just based on the ones we know about, I think um, I, I'm aware of one project that's going very very strong in this direction it will probably in the next few weeks announce um that they're going down this this path um but i would be not surprised at all considering the permissionless nature if that announcement is front run and we wake up tomorrow or two days or three days from now um where there's some uh layer three that that's uh are using the arbitrary technology that uh you know front run the front runs any of the ones that i know about <laughs> i feel like that's alpha steven harry do you have anything else to add there <laughs> Well, I mean, just, yeah, I definitely second that, uh, the idea of kind of the, uh, the idea of the, uh, unknowns that, you know, the unknown projects that arise out of no, out of nowhere being one of the coolest sort of facets of the blockchain space where sort of, you know, you can make a lot of plans, but then sort of something out of the blue happens and, and kind of, you know, changes, changes all of it. I think the other kind of like, I, I'm. From a technical perspective, I'm, I'm kind of extremely excited about the idea of sort of L3s as a kind of test bed for new tech, for new for new ideas and new technology around EIPs. Um, that kind of fundamentally, I mean, I think there's been a it's interesting because there's been a lot of hope for a while on like, well, L2s can kind of lead the way in terms of you know ahead of Ethereum development, which has always been a kind of interesting thesis to me. I've never been the biggest fan of it because if an l2 adopts a and ethereum adopts b you're in a horribly fragmented situation um if a chain kind of like our that would you know that could lead to like arbitrum diverging from ethereum in some way that would cause sort of you know all sorts of tooling that need to support or both if arbitrum were to kind of lead the pack but then deviate from but you know have ethereum not follow whereas for l3s where you have this flexibility of somebody can kind of start up a new chain that's meant to be experimental that's not meant to sort of you know collect you know not meant to host billions of dollars of, of value that's instead meant for kind of and developers and, and users to kind of experiment what with what the next generation of technology looks like there's there's so much cool that can happen yeah why would someone okay let's say i'm, I'm an app chain builder um why would i not build on orbit is it because you want to like get hmm if you wanted to own like more of the stack, I guess you could say, would you, you'd probably 
maybe build an app chain in, in Cosmos land? Is that like the reason to not use Orbit? I'm trying to, what's the, what's the counter to Orbit essentially, Harry? It's a good question. I mean, it's certainly, I mean, I think, or I think Orbit's pretty great. Um, <laughs> I, not, um, not, not biased at all, but, uh, <laughs> no bias. Um, <laughs> never. You know, my, my, my kid is cuter than those other people's kids. Um, exactly. exactly. Uh, well, I do know your t-shirt, uh, if for anyone watching on YouTube, your, your t-shirt is better than anyone else's. So <laughs> this shirt, um, but no, I mean, I think, you know, there, there's like, I think there's interesting balances. I think that like, um, that kind of Arbitrum tech and L2 tech is, is, is best in cases where kind of you, you want sort of a real degree of, of decentralization. Whereas I think kind of in many cases, like a, a kind of DAP, you know, a, a sort of like Cosmos style chain, you can kind of have, you know, much more arbitrary degrees of kind of sovereignty, which is also possible in, in, in kind of in orbit chains, um, in Arbitrum chains, but it's kind of almost against the point of what the technology achieves, which is sort of to have kind of like a, a broadly, uh, a broadly decentralized system. And I think that there are like definitely use cases that are kind of better in one way or, or, or kind of for one, you know, but with one solution or better with the other. Yeah. Uh, what, how do you see this being different? I, so there's, uh, for anyone who didn't hear the intro of this, there's an episode two coming out later today. We talk, uh, all about like different, like the L2 ecosystem and kind of thoughts on optimism and stuff like that. But I think Steven, I would throw one optimism question at you right now, which is like, how do you view this being different than the, the OP stack here? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. So I think the fundamentally important thing is, you know, Arbitrum is fully built out and has um, those front proofs available to them and has the full technology available. And I think that's, um, you know, something which someone could build on the chain today and, and the technology is fully there and the, the tools to decentralize are, are, are there. So I think that's uh, definitely important um, and probably the, the, the largest difference um, in terms of you know, there are probably a lot of small differences as well, but I think, you know, um, fundamentally, um, in the goal of what I think what we're trying to, to, to achieve, they're probably very, very similar. Um, and, um, I think that there's also a lot of unexplored territory, which we'll probably both explore around how you can build ecosystems and connect these chains, both connective tissues in the L3 ecosystem in ways that you can connect L3s closer, um, than, than different L2s. And we have some ideas there. Um, and I know that um, they do as well. So it'll be interesting to to see how that generally technology technology wise develops. But I do think that in the vision, they're probably uh, more similar than they are different in in, in many ways. Um, the technology, the technological maturity is probably, in, in my view, the, the largest difference. And you know, we're excited to make um, the Arbitrum uh, stack, Arbitrum Orbit, available for people to use uh, in this current state. And, and one thing actually, which we said as well, so we, we've, um, Arbitrum Stylus will become available to these chains as well. Arbitrum Stylus, um, I think we discussed it in the next episode, uh, um, um, I think is, uh, is the ability that we're, that, uh, you know, we've developed at Opchain Labs to write contracts in C, C++ and Rust. Um, you know, the DAO will have the opportunity as well to introduce that to its chains should, should it choose to do so. Uh, later this year, and as will um, any Arbitrum Orbit chain, will have the, you know, it's 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 decision. It will have the opportunity to introduce that technology into its chain. And another another thing to mention, I think, with the license here, it will be a perpetual license. So, um, you know, chains mm -hmm. have the comfort of knowing that 
if they choose this technology, the license is theirs, and there's nothing that well any centralized entity can do to to take that license away from them once they start building on it. The other the other thing we've known here, which is kind of cool, is just like it, it's it's all of this. It, it's funny because I mean you 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 mentioned you mentioned optimism, and it's certainly the you know they've been they've you know done a lot in this regard, but sort of zk sync is uh is is open for sources as far as i know starkware has announced that they are planning on open sourcing polygon um i i think has is there's EVM. i think there's EVM is is open source as far as i remember it, it's really kind of a, a very cool trend i would say kind of across the role of space but also just across sort of the the broad blockchain space which is just really exciting uh to kind of see that you see the value that's created by sort of having having the kind of open source flexibility um and i know that like for in, in terms of arbitrum i think the kind of balance of allowing kind of you know allowing this sort of broad ecosystem to evolve in ways that kind of drive value kind of into the ecosystem rather than sort of having value escape was is a really kind of appealing idea yeah well isn't it? i mean open source is not just a crypto thing right now i feel like there's a broad movement in tech with i mean block works we use i mean if, if we look at our open source stack, you have like Next.js and React and MySQL and Word, even WordPress with our website and Tailwind and Ghost and like all, all I mean, we even we leverage a bunch of open source stuff. So absolutely. Yeah. Uh, um, any last thoughts, guys, on Orbit, Airdrop, upcoming Arbitrum stuff? I, I'm just really excited for kind of like, uh, obviously for like our team, this an enormous amount of thought and energy has has kind of gone into all, all things associated with uh with kind of arbitrum and and kind of the hand the kind of launch of governance and the handoff to the foundation so i'm, I'm just really excited for kind of like us to be able to really sort of like get our kind of <laughs> mental capacity and kind of focus back for sort of the broader technical um you know growth of of the of the red up roll up ecosystem which is something i think that we're we're extremely fascinated with and excited about and kind of th this plays into it i don't think we got to mention earlier but one thing we've been talking about some today which I, I think is really exciting is basically this idea of sort of stages of roll-up decentralization um and and with the with the announcement of the dow and, and particularly the security council um based on this post that Vitalik made a few a few months ago, which kind of lays out this idea of kind of stages of decentralization, we become kind of the first EVM rollup to reach sort of the second stage out of three. Um, and I think that there is, I'm, I'm really excited about sort of various research project votes that will kind of get rollups to actually kind of fulfill this sort of fully and completely decentralized and, and kind of trustless future that, that we're all looking for. Steven, you want to bring us home or are you ready for bed? Sure. Um, no, I, I always uh, I always have thoughts. <laughs> um, a, little bit, a bit of both, I guess. Um, yeah, I, I, guess I think what Harry said it really right. And one thing that I'd add is, you know, it, it's kind of a weird feeling because on the one hand, today feels like a celebration and the, and the culmination of, of something where, um, you know, we've been working, I personally have been working on, on, the Arbit on Arbitrum since about 2017 with Harry. Uh, Ed's been working on it for a few years prior to that, and um, even in the company context, we're approaching five years where we've been wor working on Arbitrum. So it's a very exciting moment to see the tech reach the level of maturity that we're able to take at this level and really let go 
But from the other perspective, it's really the beginning of something new, right? There's his, uh, this is the moment where it, it, grow, it develops its wings and it flies. And I think this is an opportunity for the tech to fly and reach new heights, heights that it's never reached before and wouldn't be able to reach uh, until it was really, um, you know, decentralized in this way and more decentralized and, and, and going down this path of decentralization. And I think, you know, uh, um, we, we already, you know, uh, made these points before, but the community will innovate. There's opportunities now for the community to be involved. The fact that we're not in control means the DAO is in control. And I'm excited to see uh, what the DAO does, how people innovate with the new uh, technology stack that's becoming, or with the new availability, I should say, of the technology stack that's going live with Arbitrum Orbit, what people, uh, and, and how the community members become involved. There's now more than ever, uh, you know, we've always said, even, you know, going back years, hey, the community should get involved. There are ways the community can evolve. That, now that's true more than ever. There's a DAO that controls the future of Arbitrum. And community members can become part of that. Um, next week, uh, community will be, you know, thousands of community members will um, get a piece of that and get a say in that. And over time, more and more uh, community members will will have uh, a say in that governance and a say in the future of the Arbitrum chain. Uh, community members can, can nominate themselves now to be delegates. And those delegates will be live in the token claiming process next week. Actually, that's why. So the reason why we have a one week delay in between the eligibility announcement and the claiming, we're not doing anything. Actually, the smart contracts are already launched. Uh, we've given control to the DAO already. There's just this one week delay built into the smart contracts, and that's just to allow delegates, the the the, the, the um, Arbitrum Foundation to process application for delegates. So delegates can be already in the user flow when users want to go ahead and claim tokens. And, and delegates, for those who don't know, are the ability for users not to vote themselves if they choose not to, but to delegate their, their votes to someone else during the claiming process. So. There's delegates. There's a security council. The security council, the initial security council, uh, has been set up uh, on launch. But uh, in six months from now, there will be the first security council vote. That's another way where community members uh, can become involved. Um, just by voting as well, community members can become involved. And there's just so so much opportunity. And you know, one thing which is again counterintuitive today. So what is the role of Offchain Labs? Offchain Labs is a service provider to the DAO. If the DAO wants uh, technical features um, at the direction of the DAO, Offchain Labs uh, can be contracted to build them. I'm excited because I'm pretty sure that in the next few months, it won't just be Offchain Labs. There'll be other really great technical teams that are also become service providers to the DAO that also say, hey, we want a grant to uh, to build the Arbitrum ecosystem. And in some sense, you know, this is, this sounds competitive, but, you know, from the ecosystem perspective, this is the absolute best thing for the ecosystem. And watching the ecosystem go from a, a company to a foundation to now hopefully a constellation of companies that are all working together on the same goal. That's really exciting. And to, to connect this back to Harry's point before, there are times when the tech's not mature, the last thing that you want is too many cooks in the kitchen. Like this thing doesn't exist. You just need people to close the door and actually build it. But Arbitrum has reached that level of maturity where the core tech is stable and exists. And now we can actually have uh, a process where others can come involved and take, you know, actually build processes. And it might, you know, be a little slower than it would be if there's one, you know, developer behind the closed door building it. But that's, that's a, 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 you know, a relic of its own success. And that's sort of the next stage here. And I'm excited for the community portion of Arbitrum to start. And I uh, can't wait to see the innovation that will, this will enable. Nice. I think that's a good place to end it. Guys, if you enjoyed this episode, we have an episode coming out in a couple of hours. Arbitrum round two. We recorded it a couple weeks ago before actually I even knew there was an airdrop coming. Um, but Stephen and Harry were generous enough to give us another hour of their time. That episode that drops in a couple hours, we went really deep on their thoughts on Coinbase's L2, deeper thoughts on the OP stack, 
how they're able to pass uh, ETH in some key metrics, uh, what's going on with MEV on Arbitrum, competing with ZKs, uh, and a whole bunch of other things. So definitely tune into that. Drops in a couple hours. And Stephen and Harry, uh, guys, just really thank thank you for your time. I know uh, how tired you are and how crazy of a week it's been. Uh, so appreciate it. Thank, thank you for having us. us.